We are in Genesis chapter 17 is where we're going to look this morning. We are going through our names of God. And uh, hey, Eric's here. Nice to see you. Um, if you don't know Eric, Eric works at FEC. He's our uh, communications coordinator. Is that a correct term? Close enough. Um, so uh, it's always a pleasant surprise when you look up and you see somebody you know. And uh, um, We are going through these names of God, and we are on El Shaddai. And I begged Stephen, but he refused to do the Amy Grant song for us. You can all thank him later. Um, we are not in the 80s anymore. I can tell that this is a younger audience because a lot of people, it's like going way over their head. It's been that kind of morning. It's been that kind of morning. So, uh, Genesis chapter 17, uh, we're going to look, I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 6. So, if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, if you would just stand with me as we read this, Genesis chapter 17, starting at verse 1. Starting at verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham." For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You for the power that Your Word contains. We thank You that it penetrates our hearts. And Father, we pray that as You speak this morning, that You would allow human flesh to get out of the way. And that Your Word would go forth and that You would be proclaimed as glorious. And Father, that we can see a glimpse of Your character this morning. We might be lifted up in our spirits, in our minds, and in our bodies. We thank You, Jesus, and we ask for Your blessing in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. El Shaddai. We'll kind of give a, a definition first as you uh, look at this. It's, it's right there in verse 1. Uh, it's where the Lord says to Abram, I am God Almighty. The, the Hebrew wording there is El Shaddai. Um, it's comprised of two Hebrew words, the first one being El and the second word being Shaddai, S-H-A-D-D-A-I. Um, and there's two parts to consider that you bring these words together and it kind of cons- c- c- constructs this, this meaning in, in, in what the context is. And we're going to dive into the history and the story of Abraham this morning because it's absolutely essential to get to why this is the first time this name is used in Scripture and where God introduces Himself to Abraham in such a way. So the, the first word El comes from Elohim. It's also uh, something we looked at last week, being the creator and the concept and the, 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 the general understanding of the word El is great, might, power, um, so when you think of El, you think of, and, and oftentimes uh, David in some of the Psalms would say El, and he was referring to the great 
powerful God. And, and so we need to keep that in mind. And then the second part, Shaddai, uh, there's debate over its root meaning. There's all kinds of, of debate over what it means. There's different uh, uh, root meanings that it comes from. Um, uh, the field, um, uh, the, the Hebrew word is very closely related to breast, um, which would make an awkward sermon. Um, various things that, that it ties together, but ultimately they all seem to imply nourishment, supply, and satisfaction. Okay, And when you combine that with the word L, those concepts, nourishment, supply, uh, satisfaction are intensified. Because you have the great and mighty who supplies, nourishes, blesses, and so it's intensified. It comes to mean the one who sheds forth, who pours out. There's this idea, this constant pouring out, sustenance and blessing. And it's not just at a minimum level, but almost to a level of embarrassment. That's the concept that we're walking through. So the summary is El, the Mighty One who is all-sufficient, all-bountiful, the source of all blessings and fullness and fruitfulness. That's the name El Shaddai. Okay? I want you to let that sink in because it's going to be so vitally important as we walk through. It's the Mighty One who is all-sufficient, all-bountiful, the source of all blessing and fullness and fruitfulness. And we walk into this chapter, Genesis chapter 17, and it says that when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. So I want us to walk through the context, the story. And in order to do that, flip back a couple of chapters. Genesis chapter 12 is the introduction of Abraham. And in this chapter, the first thing we see is the call. The call. And the call is, go and I will show you. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12, the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. That is incredible. And we don't have time to dive into that. But I would encourage you as you walk through this week and you kind of reflect hopefully on El Shaddai, you walk through the story of Abraham and we're going to do that this morning a little bit, but to consider what is being said here. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great uh, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you, I'll curse you. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So the call is is given to Abraham. So you need to understand the concept of what's going on. Abraham's living with his family in uh, Ur, the Chaldeans. And God appears to him. We don't know the level, the extent of, of the past relationship that Abraham has with God. But God appears to him. He says, all right, Abraham, I want you to leave that safety, that security of that family unit, that place where you have an established home. I want you to take all of that, leave it behind, and go, by the way, to a place I will show you when you get there. I'm not telling you where specifically to go right now. I just want you to go, and when you get there, I'll let you know. When I go on a destination that I've never been to before, the first thing I'm doing is I'm pulling out my 
phone and I'm punching in the address and I'm hitting directions so I know not only where I'm, there's been times where I know where I'm going, but I leave it on there just so I can know what time I'm going to arrive. Right? I mean, I've been to my parents' house many, many times. I know how to get there. I don't need the directions, but I'll punch it in so that I can tell them exactly what time I'm supposed to arrive. God's telling Abraham, by the way, I want you to go, and I want you to go, and when you get there, I'll let you know. That's a pretty hefty thing. He went with a promise, and he also went, uh, this is super significant. I think it's really interesting that there is a lot of detail in how old Abraham is in each part of this story. Not only did he call him up and he said go, it wasn't when he was a young buck. It says in the very next verse that he was 75 years old. Oh, by the way, after 75 years of living in this place, I want you to pick up and go to a new place. When I moved from our house up north west northeast to southwest we had a lot of junk and it took a while to pack it all up and to to load it and to move it and to get down there and can you imagine 75 years i only lived there for like 10 years 75 years go leave that security and go on this long hazardous journey to a place you don't know that's the call of Abraham. Then if you flip to, to Genesis 15, after a couple of different incidents, so in the meantime, he's, he's gone down to Egypt. He's actually uh, separated from Lot, and then he goes and he rescues Lot in Genesis chapter 14. And after a bunch of things, he, he has this kind of unique story of a guy named Melchizedek who, who we don't have any time to dive into, but it's, it's a fascinating story. And, and we come to Genesis chapter 15. So after all of these things, in Genesis 15 verse 1, it says, after these these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and he says fear not Abram I am your shield and your reward shall be very great another promise a renewal of the promise God returns to Abraham and he begins to to reaffirm his promise and something unique happens in verse 2 it says but Abram said O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless, childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Remember that promise. Your name will be great. You will have uh, uh, nations and kings will be born out of you. And this incredible promise in, in the call. So God says, come Abraham, get up out of here. I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make nations and all the peoples of the world blessed from you. And, and Abraham obeys. And you can almost hear in Abraham's voice in, in this context here, he's, it's almost like Abraham saying, I obeyed you and I have nothing to show for. In fact, the promise that you gave me, all I have is Eliezer, my servant. I guess he's going to be the one through whom the plan is going to be presented. This is Abraham's first worldly solution. And God's response? Listen to what he says. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son will be your heir. God says, no, 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 that's not my plan. 
I'm going to give you a son. And we don't know the exact age of Abraham at this point. We know that it has been some time, but we're going to know in, in, in the next part how old he is. But, but an amazing thing here happens. God says, not only that, but I'm going to confirm and establish the, the seriousness of my promise to you with a covenant. And we have this kind of morbid scene where Abraham is supposed to gather up all these different kinds of animals and he cuts them in half and he sets them aside and the blood runs in. It's super graphic. I realize it. This is a very typical covenant in that day. And the way it was to work is that, that when the animals are cut and the blood ran together, the two parties that were making the covenant would walk through the midst, in the midst of the blood and, and by doing so they would say, if we break this covenant, what has been done to these animals will be done to us. And what's amazing about this covenant is that God alone walks through. Abraham never does. God makes the covenant with Abraham. And we're told later on in Hebrews that the seriousness of this was that God would declare to Abraham that by two unchangeable things, by a covenant and an oath that I swear, I want you to know how serious I am. So this is building one thing upon another. And the story of Abraham goes on that the covenant and then the next chapter... Chapter 16, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. Uh, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And after living ten years in the land of Canaan, her servant uh, was given to him, and he has a child, Ishmael. So you have the compromise. Okay? I want you to keep following this. We'll walk through it again. Called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He's 75 years old. He goes and he's promised, I will make you a great nation. He has no children, and, and after many years, 10 years now, he's had no children, even though God has just reaffirmed this covenant to him. But after 10 years, he's like, I have no children. His wife's like, Yeah, you came. I followed you, and we still have no children. I got an idea. We're going to help God out. And they have a child, Ishmael. And, and again, this is an incredible uh, history here that we could walk through about the, the history of now we have, because God would say that through Ishmael He will have a great generation. But, but the point here is that the fleshly prom compromise of Abraham, there's an incredible illustration that I would encourage you all to look through sometime as a naturalist who, who is studying the emperor moth. And if you've ever looked at the emperor moth, it's this kind of weird uh, process of metamorphosis where you know, it you know, does the whole cocoon thing and, and this guy wanted to watch that process. And so as he watched the emperor moth start to come out of the cocoon, um, it's tight. And it actually forces the the... I don't know what you call it, the larva, as it's coming out, it squishes it. And it's really hard and it struggles through. And there's a reason for it. Because it pushes fluids out into the wings of the moth. And as it does so, its wings begin to develop. Well, this guy didn't know that and he got impatient. He began to cut the cocoon so that this larva could get out. And the results were that it came out and its wings were never developed and it could never fly. Because it hadn't gone through that process that pushed out the fluids into its wings. 
That's what Abraham was doing here as he impatiently waited for the promise that God had made. He decided to help God out and stunted the promise. And then we get to chapter 17. And I want you to notice something. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Thirteen years after Ishmael is born. Okay, so walk this out. Seventy-five, he's told to come and promised that he'd be a great nation. Twenty-four years later, God says, I'm ready to install my plan. Brothers and sisters, we could pause right here and we could end the sermon by walking through what that means to us. How many times have we been called and we felt the calling of the Lord in our life? And how many of us have gotten impatient after a week, six months, about what the Lord is planning to do with that calling He has laid on our heart? I remember when I knew that I was called into ministry, I was uh, 19 years old and I, I knew that I wanted to do it, so I went off to school and I studied, and when I came back, I was ready. And I went and I did an apprenticeship, and after the apprenticeship was over, I worked in a factory. And you know what my thoughts were? This is not what I was called to. And I worked in a factory for two and a half years thinking, where is the church that I was called to? Brothers and sisters, we are so impatient when it comes to the calling of the Lord because God's timing is never our timing. And the worst thing we can do is try to stunt the calling of the Lord in our own life and run after things that are not what God has called us to do because we think we're going to help God in the calling. 24 years. God comes to him and he says, okay, I'm ready to install my promise. I am El Shaddai. And Abraham, in this text, it says, okay, I get it. And he says, okay, here's the promise. It's Ishmael. And God says, no, no, that's not my plan. But it's in this context that we want to look through and we want to walk through what is the significance that in the midst of, of this waiting, in the midst of all of this story, God presents Himself to Abraham as El Shaddai. Why? What does Genesis 17 in the story of the, the promise of God tell us about Abraham? Well, I think it's already been mentioned. It's important to consider that it starts out this verse, and I couldn't get past verse 1 of this chapter, when Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared. 99. Why? The natural question, why did God wait so long? Why did He wait 99 years, or 24 years from the time He called Him to fulfill the promise? Because He's going to tell Him, you know, this time next year, you'll have a son. And sure enough, Isaac is born. But why? Why so long? I think there's an important, extremely important, when we consider the context of El Shaddai being the great, mighty, powerful, all-sufficient, all-bountiful supplier. He's the one that appears to Abraham and it says, this is who I am. I think you have to start by asking yourself, what is the state of Abraham? 
Okay? And we get some insight into Abraham at this time from Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about the incredible faith of Abraham. And I'm sure that I'm convinced that after God presented him in such a way, Abraham's faith became so strong that he was able to then offer his son as a sacrifice because of the incredible nature of what's going on here. In Romans chapter 4, I think it's verses 18 and 19, Paul describes Abraham as saying he considered his body as good as dead at 99. I mean, that's quite a description of somebody, that their body is as good as dead. And then his wife was barren could not have children. That's the mindset of Abraham and walking into this. And so what I want us to see is that God is presenting Himself to Abraham as this all-bountiful, all-sufficient supplier of all things to one whose mindset had become, this isn't just improbable, it is impossible. He had waited 24 years. Why? Because he wanted everything possible that Abraham could think of of how the plan was going to come together to be utterly wiped out and gone. So that Abraham would realize that it was El Shaddai who was the only one capable. When the promise was made this time as El Shaddai, I'm convinced that Abraham finally believed. All right. I knew you were going to do it, but now I see how. Notice we already talked through the history of Abraham. Two worldly attempts, solutions. And now the impossible solution, he's El Shaddai. Why? Because Abraham needed to know that God was the supply. He needed to know that God was the source. He needed to know that God was satisfaction. He needed to know that God is life, that He could overcome the human frailties and provide. God waited because He wanted no part of Abraham's solutions. Rather, He wanted Abraham to realize that He was the great, all-powerful, all-sufficient supplier who can overcome. You know, as I read through this text, I thought... It's almost as if God was saying to Abraham, are you done trying? Are you done trying? Now watch me, the great supplier who is not subject to the laws of nature. I'm convinced this name teaches Abraham a couple things. It teaches Abraham that God is sufficient to revive the deadness of the human body in order to show His great power and bounty. I'm also convinced that it shows us that God promises only what God can give. And that the promise was never to be fulfilled by the works of the flesh. Sound familiar? Is that not the Gospel? That God alone is the supplier, the source of life. That God alone is the only one who can supply what God promises. And God promised from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And He said that there would be a time when the son of the seed of the woman would be bitten by the seed of the serpent. But in the end, the seed of the woman would overcome. That was our promise. The promise that after the fall, after Adam and Eve had sinned, that God Himself would be victorious. God promised Adam and Eve that before they were removed from the garden, that one day redemption would come. And only God could answer that promise. And what God wants us to understand with the the name El Shaddai, that His character is this, that only what He 
promises only He can deliver upon. And He doesn't need any help. He never will. And so we have the story, the incredible story of the Gospel. We're going to look in a couple of weeks at Emmanuel, God with us. That God came and He dwelt among us. That He lived among us. He was perfect and holy and just. The only one capable of fulfilling the commandments of the law. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, has this incredible statement. He says that since we have flesh and blood, the high priest would have to have flesh and blood so that he could dwell among us, that he would be tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin so that He could relate to us. That only God could do that. And that He would offer Himself as a sacrifice. And He didn't need help from humanity. In fact, if humanity helps, their boast is in themselves. And their boast is worthless. And so Jesus offers Himself. And Jesus is the great El Shaddai who offers himself as a sacrifice, and he says, I am the bountiful supplier. I am the one who overcomes the deadness of humanity because flesh has condemned. And I offer righteousness to all who would believe. What an incredible thought to walk through the Gospel that this is Jesus being fulfilled before our very eyes. It is no wonder that Abraham, after he offers Isaac, I'm convinced he saw the reality of who Jesus was. And I don't know if there was a private conversation that God had with him on Mount Moriah and, and instructing him on what was to come, but we know from Jesus Himself that He declared that Abraham saw my day coming and he rejoiced. Because he understood the power of El Shaddai. I'm convinced there's four truths for us today that as we look at this passage, we should take away from. The first one is that God doesn't want any part of your solutions. He doesn't want any part of your solutions. He looked at Abraham and he's like, are you done? Are you done trying? He says, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and I may multiply you greatly. Stop! Just stop trying and let me come in and be this provider that I want to be. Let me be the blessing that I want to be for you. Stop. He is sufficient to overcome your problems and you are insufficient without Him. As John tells us, recorded the words of Jesus, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. God wants to bless us, but listen to this. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And not just that you're insufficient. If you had any type of thing to offer, it would be utterly inferior to what God offers. He doesn't want any part of our solutions because it's insufficient and it doesn't want to share His glory either. That's truth number one. God doesn't want any part of your solution. Number two, God desires to pour out His blessing on His people. When I read this name of God, when I consider the context, when I look at it, the thing that overwhelms me over and over again is that God desires in blessing His people. Paul saw it when he wrote in uh, Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the, His riches in Christ Jesus. James 1.17 tells us that every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In Psalm 23, that incredible psalm we love, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Lamentations 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Never. God's desire, when I hear the term El Shaddai, it should bring to my mind that God desires to pour out to embarrassment the riches of His blessing. And many of us sit here today and say, well, where's my blessings? My life is miserable right now. My challenge to that is, well, why are you getting in the way? Why are you trying to help God? Third truth, God wants you to understand that He is the supply and satisfaction. El Shaddai. I was thinking through this text this morning and thinking through the promise that God gave to Abraham from the very beginning that he would be a great nation. I wonder, I wonder if Abraham's focus was on the physical blessing versus the spiritual blessing. That I would be a great name. That I would have prosperity in my descendants. I mean, it makes me think that probably he was focused on that because every time the Lord returns to him, it's about how he has no children yet. And how he has nothing to to be his descendants. And the reality is that God doesn't want us to focus on the physical, but the satisfaction we get from him. Fourth, God's desire is that our satisfaction is in Him. And listen to this. I'm convinced of this. He will wait till you have nothing of yourself to interfere with that. He waited 24 years. So that Abraham, as it says, as Paul wrote, that he hoped against hope that God would fulfill the promise. And he considered his body as good as dead. There was nothing left that he had zero potential in himself. And that's when God said, now I will pour my blessing. God wants to bless us, and he wants to bless us in an overwhelming manner, but he will wait until there is nothing left of yourself to interfere so that you can understand that El Shaddai is God. So what's the application? Number one, is he enough for you? Paul, in writing to the Corinthians at the midst of some struggles, he says, I've got a thorn in my flesh. I can't figure it out. I've prayed and I've asked God to remove it. And the Lord says this incredible thing to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Content with them. I get a sliver in my finger and it's the end of the world. He's content with weaknesses, calamities, struggles. 
deficiencies. Why? Because Christ is enough. Christ is enough. His name should teach us what He can do. It should teach us that He can supply no matter what. You say, well, this is impossible. This is impossible. There have been so many times in my life where I've looked at a situation and I've said, yeah, that'll never happen. And my wife lovingly reminds me, have you prayed about it? Can God overcome the impossible? El Shaddai can. El Shaddai desires to. And El Shaddai wants you to get to a place where you realize that there is no possible solution that you could ever come up with to meet that. And at that moment, he will step in and say, Aha, I can overcome and supply no matter what. It should teach us what he wants to do. Overwhelm with blessing. And it should teach us what he is. He is satisfaction in this life. And again, I'd ask, are you satisfied in him? And here's where it gets sticky and scary. If not, Brothers and sisters, please understand, He will remove the idols of your heart before blessing. He wants to. He wants to pour blessing upon blessing in your life. But if there is an idol in your heart that you are finding satisfaction in or an attempt at satisfaction, He will remove that because He wants you to know, I am life. I supply. I am the one who brings satisfaction. And so many of us are wrapping ourselves around this thing, saying, this is what I will make my name about. There are good things in our lives that we can wrap into idolatry. We can make our families idolatrous. Brothers and sisters, your family will never satisfy. Your children are God's gift to you, but they are not your satisfaction and your sufficiency. Jesus Christ is. Your church is not your satisfaction and your sufficiency. This church will fail you over and over again. We are leaders who are broken, who will make mistakes countless times. El Shaddai declares to you that I am your supply. I am your satisfaction. And we look around and we say, where can I find it? And brothers and sisters, I am chief among this. I find myself wrapped up in things, discontentment, whatever it might be. And as I trail after those things and I chase after them, I find that they never satisfy. And in the midst of chasing after them, when I think I've about got it, God rips it away and says, no. And I bet if we had people up here that tell stories, and I've heard the stories about how their family was everything and they were ripped from them. Their only place of satisfaction in despair was God. That's a scary thing to think through. Family's a great thing. Church is a great thing. It's El Shaddai who is everything. And that should be our hope and our satisfaction. And as we hear this name, El Shaddai, we should think through this. When Abraham was 99 years old, No hope left in the flesh. God said, now I will establish my covenant. Now I will put it in place. And now I will bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You because it is not Your desire to make our lives hard. It is not your desire 
to punish. It is your desire to bless. It's your desire to provide salvation to all who would believe. To take the improbable and the impossible and to provide. And yet we get in the way so often, Lord. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you show us the idols of our heart? Would you show us the things that, of self that are interfering with finding satisfaction in you? And Lord, if there is anyone here today that does not know you, if there is anyone that sits wondering what is purpose, what is life, Lord, I pray that you would breathe life into them. That you would show them El Shaddai, the bountiful supplier who is great and mighty in word and deed. And Lord, would you do that to our hearts this morning? Would you revive us that we can find our satisfaction in you and not in the things of this world, not in career, not in family, not in anything but you, Lord? May we be a people that seeks hard after you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us where we have interfered. Teach us your ways. Show us your name. That we might glorify you in what we say and do. We praise you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.